And uh, today we're going to continue uh, reading through the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in this. Um, if you don't have a copy of the, the book, Pray and Build, uh, there are still a few people uh, to get a copy, I think. Uh, we're only 10 readings in out of 40, so there's still plenty of time. Grab a book, get involved in uh, praying for the life of the church, praying for our community, praying for you, for your family, and uh, we're reading through the book of Acts at the same time. And in the book, there is a, a little leaflet that details uh, all of the, the readings as we go through the book of Acts. And today, uh, we're beginning in Acts 3. And the little section for this particular message today covers five chapters in Acts. But we're not going to read five chapters in Acts, okay? Because uh, these food bank guys are using up all my time again. <laughs> but I was never going to read five chapters in Acts anyway, so... Uh, so no worries about that. But if you turn to Acts chapter 3, just going to read a few verses uh, from there, give you a bit of a summary uh, of the passages that we're reading, and then focus in on uh, the, this particular story about Peter uh, healing a crippled beggar. So Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and uh, we're going to read that. But just before we do that, let's pray, and let's really commit the reading of God's Word to, to Him and to our minds and spirits today. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is powerful, that it is active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, when we hear Your Word, then You're speaking it for a reason. And we pray that You'd help us to really discern Your voice, to, to have wisdom, to know what to do about it. And Father, to really step out into the things which You're saying to us. And Father, we pray even as we read Your Word today, Lord, that it would be powerful as Your Spirit takes it and just places it uh, into our hearts. And Father, we pray that our ears would be open to all that You would say to us in the spirit realm today. Father, that our spiritual eyes would be open to really perceive, to understand uh, the things of God and what You want to do in our lives. So Father, we just pray Your blessing on this time. Lord, we thank You for the work of the food bank. We thank you for all the staff and volunteers, for the provision, for the 10 centers which are meeting people every single week. Father, for the warehouse, for the charity shop. And Lord, we just pray that you bless it. And Father, in this new venture, Lord, uh, we are just so encouraged by the ministry of CAP and what they've been doing for uh, the last number of years. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would cause this venture of ours to, as we partner with CAP, to be fruitful. And Father, we pray that it would help people who are in real uh, difficulty. And uh, Father, we pray that you begin to release people from uh, situations which have held them captive for years. But Father, we pray that they would come to know Jesus because you are the one that we come to time and time again. And you're able to help us in so many ways. So Father, we just pray your blessing on our time in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 1, and uh, this is what it says. This is the New International Version. It says, One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And just for the sake of time, we're going to stop there. We read on that Peter begins to address those uh, who are looking on and have seen what has happened. And uh, he begins to explain to them the, the realities of who Jesus is. And I just think it's incredible that even though Jesus had been uh, taken up into heaven to be with Father, uh, that the work of Jesus was still going on through the apostles. And we'll think about that in just a little while. But I, I hope you're benefiting from reading through the book of Acts. Uh, there's so much in it that we can learn and uh, take from this book. So we read in Acts chapter, the, the passage that we're considering over the last uh, wee while, uh, this last week, is from Acts 3 through to Acts 7. And it's the remainder of the passage which deals with the church in Jerusalem. And we see the church growing in Jerusalem, but we also see the church being tested. Their faith is tested. And did you know that if you have faith, if you're a person of faith, your faith will always be tested? None of us like having our faith tested, do we? We don't like it when we go into the exam room and we've got to sit down and the person says, make sure you read the question properly and all that stuff. And you you're being tested on what you've learned and studied and know. Well, it's the same way with our faith. We don't get tested on things that we're not capable of being tested on. Let me just say that. But our faith is tested. So when we are growing in God, then the things that we're learning in God will be tested for those things. It's also interesting to note that the church didn't stay in that room where the 120 people were gathered. We thought about the day of Pentecost last week. Those 120 people became 3,120. They didn't stay in the room. They went out and they did what Jesus had commanded them to do. And it made me think about church. It made me think about how easy it is for us, in one sense easy, to come together and to worship and to enjoy being in God's presence and in God's house, and yet how difficult it can be to then go out into the workplace, into school, into college, into university, into our family situations, whatever is going on. It's a different matter when we've got to go from the presence of God corporately into those places where we are tested and tried. And you know, if the Christian faith was just about reading the Bible and it was just about teaching and worship and singing songs, you know, in one sense you think, that would be quite nice because I, I love doing those things. I love doing all of those things. But it's about more than that. It's about taking what we are as Christians into the world. You know, we can look back at times in our lives. Last week, I, I shared about experience that I had in Japan uh, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's very easy to want to remain in those places where we've experienced the blessing of God and there's a, a time for all of these things. And, the, you know, it's good that we do that. But we need to think about um, the fact that God is calling us not just to be 
uh, Christians and, and be in the holy huddle, but calling us to go out. I, I think back to that time and think, would I have liked to have stayed in that place? Well, you see, the reality is that the Sunday service ended. There was a little church in a, a little outskirts of a place in the outskirts of Kyoto uh, called Katsura. Um, just an incredible experience, but that experience came to an end. That service came to an end. That time we had lunch and we did all that. And then it was time to go and uh, go into the workplace on Monday morning. You see, the experiences that we have in God are for a reason. They're not just so that we can be blessed, although we are blessed, but they're for us to go out. And how tempting it is for us to think about the, the good old days when, you know, you, you, put, you fill in the blanks for you. Remember the good old days when we did such and such, or the, the good old days when we used to sing those songs, or the good old days when it was like this. All of those types of things. And the challenge comes for us to think about the language that we're using. Are we talking more about what happened in the past than we're talking about what's happening just now? Is all our language about remember when we did such and such? Remember when God said such and such? Remember that day when the prophecy came and blah, blah, blah? All that stuff. And it's great to think about that stuff and we need to. But think about your language. Is it all past tense? Is it all about the good old days? Or is it about what God is doing in you today? You see, there's a little verse in the book of Daniel. I don't know if you caught this one when you were reading through Daniel at the tail end of last year. Chapter 11, verse 32 says, But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. As I think about the Christian faith, it's not about staying in a holy huddle. It's not about comfort. It's about doing great exploits. And there's a very real danger of getting stuck somewhere in our walk with God and forgetting that He's called us to do great exploits. Let me give you an example. I remember a time uh, standing on top of this hill here. This is called Sylvan. It's up in Sutherland. And I remember, you know, it's a long walk in. It's a hard slog to get up to the top. But I remember standing on the very top, just so you know where the top is, it's actually this bit here, right? Standing on the very top of this mountain. And as you consider the landscape, that's a photograph of the landscape. And on the top of that mountain, thinking about the words of that hymn, we're the whole realm of nature mine, that we're an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And just standing on top of that mountain and the, the words of that hymn going through my head and just being awestruck at how incredible our creation is that God has made. And just being awestruck with how massive God is. See, it was a mountaintop moment, a moment where you just kind of feel like you're at peace with the world and with God and yourself and nothing could ever go wrong. But the reality is that you can't stay on top of the mountain. If you stay on top of that mountain, if I had to stay on top of that mountain, I probably wouldn't be here by now because they're frozen to death in the winter. But the reality is that we can't stay on mountaintop experiences either. The times when we experience God, like when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the apostles didn't camp out there. They didn't pitch their tent at that place and say, well, that's where I'm going to be. The Holy Spirit is always pushing us outwards. Pentecost was to set the church in motion, to set the church into mission and to moving out. And the Holy Spirit's thrust is always outward. We read 
uh, our key verse in the book of Acts, which is, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It was for a reason. It was to propel the church out. And it's like centrifugal force. Does, is there any scientists in here? who understand about centrifugal force, one or two. I'm not going to go into a scientific explanation of centri uh, centrifugal force, but essentially, it's the force that arises uh, from a body's inertia, which appears to act on a body moving in a circular path and is directed away from the center around which the body is moving. That is the definition, okay? If you're anything like me, you go, what the heck does that mean, Okay. Well, let me give you a visual, okay? This is what it means, okay? This is centrifugal force in action. Somebody at the center who's got the hammer, they're in motion, they're going round and round. You've, people, you've seen people doing this in the, in the Olympics, uh, throwing the hammer, and they, they get ready for that moment where they'll let that hammer go. Unfortunately, for most people, it goes out the middle of that net. If it gets caught in the net, you're snookered but it's got to go out and it is propelled out. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit was doing on Pentecost. He was taking the apostles and he was just going like that. Are you ready? <laughs> Are you ready? I'm just about to let go. And he lets go and they get propelled out into mission. And that's why we experience these things in God, is that we are propelled out into mission. These spirit-filled apostles had inertia. There was a force acting on them that drove them out from the center, out from that room where they experienced Pentecost. The apostles were propelled outwards, just as that hammer, when it leaves that person's hand, will just go through the air until it finds a place to land. So they were propelled out. And in these verses, we read uh, about a number of different things. We read about miracles, we read about money, we also read about martyrdom. And that was the kind of heading today, but I'm not going to focus on all of those things. I will do a very, very brief run-through, though. Um, Acts chapter 3 is about a cripple being healed. It's about Peter addressing the Jews who were present as they begin to go, what the heck is happening here? This man who has been sitting at this uh, same place for years, is now up on his feet, jumping and praising God. And Acts 4, we read about Peter and John being imprisoned uh, for the message that they shared. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, many who heard the message believed, and the number, the number of men grew to about 5,000. Remember, we were talking about numbers right at the start when we looked at Acts and how numbers are important to, to God because numbers are people. And then we go on to read about the apostles giving uh, bold witness to Jesus, Peter and John refusing to be silenced, the believers becoming uh, united in prayer, and lastly, the believers sharing their possessions. You see, when it comes to money, we tend to want to go like that, don't we? This is my money, don't we? <laughs> but actually, the reason we have that my money is because God has given us the money to start with. And so he's blessed us. And we read here about the believers sharing their possessions. It gets serious in Acts chapter 5. We read about the death of Ananias and Sapphira. 
We read about the power which accompanied the preaching of the gospel. And then it goes on to say, this is an interesting verse, that no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. This follows the situation with Ananias and Sapphira. Hopefully you've read that as we begin through the, this, the readings. Nevertheless, more and more men and women uh, believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Notice that word, added. One plus one equals two. Two plus two equals four, and so on. People were added to the church. And then in Acts 6, we read about the martyrdom uh, of uh, Stephen. He was the first Christian martyr. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. In Acts 6, we read about the appointment of deacons. Uh, and it says in those days, the, here we go again, the number of disciples was increasing. And then another verse, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And if you use an older version of the Bible, it talks about being multiplied. That's really what it's saying there. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, one of our key verses. And then we read that Stephen was falsely accused of blasphemy. Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives his defense. He also reproves the Jews for the death of Christ. And then finally we read about the martyrdom of Stephen. And what's interesting at this time, as I mentioned earlier about this was a time where the church grew. It was added to but then it began to multiply as well. It wasn't just the one or two. I don't think it was ever one or two in, in those early days. But then the church began to multiply. And then as we read in Acts chapter 8, I think the person who decided where Acts chapter 8 should start maybe got it wrong. Because it says in Acts chapter 8, and Saul was there talking about Stephen being stoned to death, giving his approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered through where? Judea and Samaria. What did Jesus say? You would be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so what happened was, because of persecution, the church was scattered. Acts chapter 8 verse 4 says this, those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. And so the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus was then taken out. Now, I think this is incredible because what we see is that very picture in motion. The person throwing that hammer, they're tossing it round and they let it go at just the right moment. That's what the Holy Spirit was doing with these early apostles. And the Holy Spirit is still doing the same things today. And I want to give you an example. This is really hot off the press. This just came in this morning. We support Andrew out in uh, the Far East. And he, he says this, he, he sent me this message. He says, hi, Stevie, great news. Last week, I was sharing about how the Piggy Bank Project team had now connected with a new people group who were previously unengaged and unreached with the gospel. Yesterday, that was actually yesterday, news came out from our village outreach team of the first ever believers and the first ever baptism in this people group. Isn't that incredible? The village chief also took the outreach team to a sick daughter's house and they shared the gospel. 
Today, they are just gathering as a very simple church. Please remember these new followers of Jesus as it won't be easy for them. God is so very good. That's incredible. This is somebody that we pray for and we support. We might not be in that place, but we can pray for this person and we can pray that as people are propelled out into mission, in this case, out into places where they've never heard the gospel before, that there is fruit from the gospel. I think that is incredible. And I think that's what, the, that's, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about fruit from what we're preaching. And I want to think just as we've got a few minutes left in closing, to think about the passage which we read there and think about this whole area of miracles. You see, the church was birthed in miracles. Jesus demonstrated miracles by what he was doing. The disciples witnessed it. The disciples went out two by two, and they started performing miracles as well. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were given the ability to perform miraculous signs and wonders. And here we read about a man who's sitting at the gate, beautiful. And I I just, as I read through things, I think, I wonder if that's significant, the name of the gate. Um, and where is it, and what does it look like? Of course, we, we can't see pictures of it, but we can get an idea. And as I read the word and tried to understand why it was called beautiful, what it really talked about was flowers that come into bloom and season and display their beauty. And so is the name of the, the gate. It's all about something coming to its time, a flower coming to its time where it will blossom and is there for us to look at its beauty. And if you've had your eyes open, you'll see that the, uh, the snowdrops are up. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Just to see them popping up through the hard soil at this time of year. And they're just beautiful. They're absolutely incredible. And uh, the crocuses are beginning to come up. And you just look at them and you think, it's beautiful. And, and that's what this gate was called. It was called beautiful. And it's, it's, it's that same kind of meaning that we're trying to get at. Something about the time the season it being the right hour for, uh, for a flower to display its beauty. And I, I just wondered, maybe it's just, maybe it's preacher's license, if the name was significant, because at, at this particular time, Peter and John are walking up to the temple and they see this man. And could it be that this is a time, a specific time, for God to demonstrate his power through the apostles? We thought about how Pentecost was strategic. I think this particular occasion was significant as well. Something about the timing of it. This was the right time for the crippled man. I wonder, when's the right time for you and the situation that you're praying about and the thing that you're looking for a breakthrough in? When's the right time? You see, this man was placed at the temple gate every single day to beg. Don't read anywhere in the book of Acts about the food bank where he was able to go and get help. He had to sit in this position of humiliation and actually beg from people. Every day he sat at the gate and uh, he would beg from those who went in to worship. In verse 10, it says that they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging. So people had seen this man regularly. They'd passed him. Maybe some people had reached out a hand to help him. 
His physical needs would be obvious to everyone who passed by. And I wonder, did he ever expect a miracle? Did he ever expect a miracle? I wonder, had he ever encountered Jesus? See, it wasn't that much later. I wonder if this man had been sitting at this gate when Jesus was passing by. And I wonder why Jesus didn't heal him. Why didn't Jesus heal him? It's all speculation on my part, but it made me think, if he was sitting there when Jesus was passing, why didn't Jesus heal him? And I wonder if he had given up on his miracle. Maybe he thought, it's too late for my miracle. Jesus has gone. We've not seen Jesus for a while. Where is he? In a manner of speaking, he was gone, but he was still there. You see, the apostles carried the very spirit of Jesus into every situation that they went. I wonder if Jesus had left this man intentionally unhealed for this specific time. There was something different about this day. Imagine the man getting up that day, being cared for by the people who looked after him, taking him to the gate, as was his habit. But you see, here's the thing. Jesus can break into our habits. Jesus can break into our routines. And if you have a disability, you'll know what I mean by depending on others, having routines that are part of your day that people without that disability wouldn't even think of. In fact, you don't have, uh, if you don't have a disability, and I don't have a disability in that sense, a physical thing, but we take so much for granted. And let me just say that having a disability isn't necessarily a bad thing. I need to clarify that because there are many people who are fine Christians with disabilities who give glory to God, and there's a mystery in healing. There's a whole mystery in this area. And I remember when I was reading through the book of Acts, I was reading with, through two particular lenses. One was, how was the church led, and how did the church grow? And I remember another time, many, many years ago, reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and reading with a particular lens, how, how did Jesus heal people? I want to know how this works. You see, that's the engineer in my head. It's like, there must be a formula. A plus B equals C. There must be a... And as I read through it, I came to the conclusion after reading and after asking so many other people, how does this work? That there's an area of mystery in it. And I didn't come to a conclusion about how God heals and why sometimes God doesn't heal. I think in the process, though, we need to think about what God is doing in us. You see, as I thought about this man, I thought about how our disabilities can define us. His disability defined him. Think of what people saw on the way to worship as they passed the man at the gate. He was defined by his disability. He was defined by his circumstances, circumstances which he had no control over. It was how he was described by Luke. Remember, Luke was a doctor. He's the man who's writing this. I'm sure he was very interested in this whole story of healing. And the problem is that our disabilities can start to define who we are as people. 
Let me give you an example, because I'm not just talking about physical things. I think one of the disabilities which I carried for many years was lack of confidence. I carried that for many, many years, lack of confidence. It was a disability. And whether you realize it or not, your disability can become something that defines you. In the good old days when I worked in Mitsubishi, there were those who saw that disability in me, and I became defined by that disability, that lack of confidence. I kind of wondered why other people were moving on and, and progressing, and I was kind of like a wee bit stuck at times. And that's because our disability can define us, lack of confidence. Your disability can be anything, not necessarily a physical thing. The second thing about disabilities, and I saw this when I looked at the man, is that the disability can direct you. It can begin to control your lives or at least have a major bearing on your choices. Somebody said that poverty is the absence of choice. You get it? Poverty is the absence of choice. If you have a disability, you're poor in a particular area, and that disability can take away your choice. Can, doesn't have to. And then the last thing I saw about this man was that his disability uh, has the ability to demoralize. You see, you can lose your confidence. You can lose hope. You can begin to think that things will never change. And the thing that I feel I want to really focus on today is that God says things can change. I didn't think about this as I was sharing earlier on, that passage from Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God can change anything He likes. God can answer prayers in an instant. Sometimes He takes time to answer prayers. Sometimes there's a, a process that we need to go through, but God can change things. He can change them in an instant. And the question I want to ask today is, do you still expect a miracle? Do you still expect a miracle? Or have you began to just kind of sit down and go, well, maybe that miracle's not going to happen. And I understand when miracles don't happen. And we understand when miracles don't happen. But do we get to a place where we're just going to sit back and say, okay, I'm going to give up now because God's not come through and I've not received my miracle and I'm still wrestling with whatever it is you're wrestling with. Disabilities aren't always physical things. There are things inside of us that hold us back and stop us from progressing in who we are. But Peter and John, they were heading to the temple. They were heading to the temple to worship. And I wonder how we prepare ourselves as we come to worship. Are our hearts right? Are our hearts ready and are our hearts receptive? I think the apostles were prepared for this moment because it says that as they approached the man, this is what happened. Peter said, you know, that the man was expecting to get money from them. Imagine this. Imagine this in the food bank where somebody's coming and expecting money or expecting food, should I say, and we say, Actually, we've run out of food today, but silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
And then taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. The man got something that he didn't expect that day. He was expecting money. His hand was out. Poor man in this situation carrying this disability for 40 years. If you read later on in the chapter, it tells us that he was over 40 years old. He'd been carrying this disability. Every day he was there expecting to receive some money, and then something miraculous happened. You see, the early church was marked by miracles. Jesus' life was marked by miracles. And I think today that the church should still be marked by miracles. One of the greatest miracles is people coming to know Jesus and people getting uh, their lives sorted out. That's an incredible miracle, and we shouldn't undermine that. You see, for this man who was at the gate, that which had defined him had been radically altered by the power of God. His feet and his ankles became strong. Not only did he walk, he jumped and praised God in the process. Talking about disabilities and lack of confidence... The first time I ever did a children's talk was this very message. Nervous, shaking in my shoes, knees knocking, and a holiday club in Uddingston Baptist, and it was my turn to do the story, and I was so nervous, and this was the story. And I remember us acting out the story, and the man getting up and jumping and leaping and praising God, who was one of the guys on our team, And I think about what God can do despite our disabilities sometimes. I'll never forget the first time I did an assembly in Whitdale Primary School, just along the road there. Hundreds and hundreds of kids. And I'm there, knees knocking again, shaking in my shoes, just about to give the assembly. And I'm like, (gasps) help. It's amazing what God can do when we're prepared to not allow our disability define us, direct us, or discourage us. Continually giving ourselves over to God, not getting demoralized by our weaknesses. You see, the Bible says that God can make his strength evident in our weaknesses. Things which we may perceive to be disabilities, God can demonstrate his power, and that's the key thing. God can demonstrate his power in our weaknesses. Disabilities can be an opportunity for a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. I wonder, are we expecting miracles? Are you expecting anything from God? Or have you begun to sit back and say, okay, I'm just going to sit here and put my hand out and wait for somebody to come and put something in it? God has the power to change your circumstances, to change the things that we come before Him with, which is why it's important that we continually come before Him in prayer and give these things to us. My encouragement is don't get stuck in the past. Don't get stuck in a moment. Even if that moment is a good moment, don't get stuck. Don't allow your disability to define you, to direct you, or to demoralize you. Trust in God. Trust only in Him. Let's just pray as the musicians come back up to the platform as we prepare 
to worship God again in song. Let's just pray. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's come to worship Him uh, today. Father, we thank You for the incredible power that is in Your Word, Father, power to bring transformation. We thank You for the power that Your Holy Spirit carries into situations. Lord, we pray that You would speak into situations, and that Your Spirit would come into situations, and that You would do things which will radically change people's circumstances. And I just feel today that we need to respond to what God is saying today. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand in a little second. If there is something which you are waiting from, a miracle that you're expecting from God, something that you've been praying for and you keep coming back to God, I'm going to ask you to stand in just a little minute. And I'm going to pray that God comes through in those situations. I believe God is able to do things uh, in strange ways and uh, and really demonstrate His power. And so I want you to think about what we've been talking about this morning and think, is there something in my life which has crept up on me? I've maybe not even noticed it. Something that's holding back my progress in God or something that you're expecting God for. You've been praying for a miracle. You've been praying for a breakthrough in a certain area, whether it's uh, for you as an individual for your family, or for the church even, something that you've been praying for and you're just waiting on that breakthrough, then I'm going to invite you to stand as well. And we're going to pray. And we're going to just come before God together. And so if, if you fall into any of these categories, and just, I just ask that we respect people's privacy as well. If you fall into any category, then I'm going to just ask that you stand. And we're going to pray for you. Pray together as a group. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to ask that you reach out in prayer today for that situation. That situation that whatever it is, whether it's a situation, whether it's something within you, whether it's in your mind or your body, or it's in somebody in your family or something in the church, or uh, whatever that is, I just ask that you just reach out to Him today in prayer and that you come before him and ask him about these things. Let's just do that for a few seconds and just name that situation before him and say, please, Lord, uh, give us a breakthrough in this situation. Just into yourself this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you see every heart that has stood in this place today. Father, it's not just people's bodies that have stood in response. Father, it's, it's hearts that have stood in response. And Father, we come to you with need today and we ask that you would bring the breakthrough that we are needing in that situation. And Father, even though we have to wait for that breakthrough, Father, we pray that that breakthrough would come. You know every heart Father, you know every situation. Father, you know everything that's going on in every single person's life that is standing here today. 
And Father, we pray that you come by your Spirit and that you just move amongst this congregation today. Father, that by your Spirit that you would begin to encourage. Father, that you would begin to speak words of encouragement into our hearts. Father, we pray that we would stand up in our faith. And Father, that we would not let uh, ourselves become discouraged by the situation, whatever it is. Father, that we would not let that situation define our faith or our self-worth. Father, that we would not let that situation define who you are in the circumstances. Father, that we would stop allowing the situation to direct our thoughts, our inclinations, our heart. And Father, there may be things that we're holding on to that are causing worry, uh, pain, fear, anxiety. And Father, we, we read in your word that you're a God of peace. And Father, your word says that with, uh, with thanksgiving to pre present our requests to you. And uh, Father, th those prayers and requests, we present them to you this morning. And we read that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so, so Father, we pray that you would just come and that you'd move amongst us. Father, that you move by your power into those situations. Father, I don't know the situations, but you know every situation and you know every reason why people are standing in this place today. Lord, may there be a demonstration of the Spirit's power in many of these situations, in all of these situations. And Father, we pray that it would be for your glory. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen.